Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, Pastor Tyler here. Yes, it's a weird season. Yes, we're online again. It's just one week. That's what we're believing. Uh, if you didn't see the announcement, uh, a handful of our staff tested positive for COVID. I'm one of them, uh, but I'm doing fine. It's just, a, just some cold symptoms. Uh, and so I'm still going to give you the best that I got. Uh, if you were with us last week, you know that we kicked off a new series out of the book of Daniel, God's Not Done. Woo, I loved it. One of my favorite messages I've ever preached. I believe that it is heavenly wisdom in the book of Daniel on how to navigate through today's trials and chaos. And so if you didn't see it, man, you got to go back and watch it. Like after this message, go watch that one, double dip today. Um, and then the uh, reason why I tell you that is because today I'm not going to actually preach uh, the next sermon in that series. I want to save that for when we're together. But I do want to share a simple, but I believe powerful message with you today called Game Changers. When I uh, prepare uh, the year's worth of sermons, I have sermon ideas, big thoughts that I feel like are biblical rhythms that God shows that are really important for us to grab. And one of them is, is God's a game changer. Jesus is a game changer. Wherever Jesus came and walked, he just changed the game. He changed the atmosphere of rooms. And I really believe this. You get a generous Christian in your life, they're a game changer. They'll change your life. Their generosity will, will change your own circumstances. You get a gracious Christian in your life, it's going to change the way you operate. I think about uh, me having a failure complex. I got around gracious Christians. They helped me not have a failure complex. You get around kind uh, Christians, it changes the game. Let's just talk practically real quick. Uh, some of the practical game changers I think about is Spotify. Do you remember what was um, uh, our life before Spotify? Do you remember riding the car in high school and your buddy saying, hey, grab me the DMX CD. And you'd grab out a big old binder book and you'd be flipping through it. And you'd be like, I can't find it, man. It'd be like 55,000 CDs. And you'd be like, oh, okay, I found it finally. Then you put in the CD player. You're like, I don't know, no, I'm gonna play something different. You have to take it out and like, go give me some NSYNC. You're like, oh my gosh, I gotta go to NSYNC. It would take you 30 minutes to find two songs. Now, if I want NSYNC, I just type in NSYNC. Boom, I got everything. NSYNC radio. I mean, game changer. iPhone. I don't have to go down the iPhone track. Before the iPhone, I remember when I was going to uh, um, college, I had a cyber, uh, Sony CyberShot. And I thought it was the coolest thing. It was small. It was how you took digital cameras. You take a little disc and upload a computer. I, hey, those are gone. Because the reality is, is iPhone changed the game. Now, what I want to do today, though, with all these game changer thoughts is I don't want to talk about just a simple thought of a, a generous Christian changes an atmosphere. I want to talk about biblical principles that if you actually started living these out, they would change your life. They, it would actually change the way that you live and operate. It would change your emotions. It would change you from maybe depression to joy. It would change your marriage. It would change your friendships. I, I love what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.15. It says this, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself, on the teaching, persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. It says practice these, th these things. Let me, let me read another verse. This is a theme that, that the Bible keeps on trying to tell us. This is a theme the Holy Spirit tries to tell us. Philippians 4 says this, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Over and over again, put these things into practice. Practice these things. I got five game changers that if you practice these, these things, I really believe it, it's going to change your life. Will you bow your heads and pray real quick? God, we thank you so much for what you're doing at uh, Mission Church. And uh, in the midst of this little COVID blip, Lord, I believe that you're going to use this online service, that you're going to use this uh, simple message, Lord. Uh, but Lord, here's what I know about simple messages. Uh, Lord, you're a God that had to give us a simple gospel. Lord, it's so simple that we're supposed to love God and love people. 
Well, Lord, I pray my words fall to the floor. Your words soar. We need you. We need you. Everybody said amen, amen. All right. Well, my first thing, there's real quick, five spiritual game changers. First one is this, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Have you ever noticed that you can know a Christian for 20 years, but if you don't forgive well, you don't live well. It's that simple. That, that if you aren't good at forgiveness, you're not good at living life. Um, I, I think of forgiveness, and I remember when I actually started practicing it. It took me until my 20s to actually understand how to practice forgiveness. Because I think some of us, we actually think of forgiveness as reconciliation. Let me just give you one little pearl I learned in my 20s. Forgiveness is a one-player game. Reconciliation's a two-player game. Here's what I mean by that. Um, I used to think that for things to be okay in my life, that whoever I had beef with, I had to talk to them and everything had to be okay. That's reconciliation. I realized that when people are unhealthy, they're sometimes not going to want to reconcile. So I wasn't supposed to care for their heart. I'm supposed to care for my heart. So I learned this thing called forgiveness. I want to read you a quote. If you never heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. Woo! Let me say that again. If you never heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. I have a scar on my finger. It's just a scar. It doesn't hurt when I touch it. The reality is, is the more you forgive, the, the, uh, the more that you release debts from people, that wounds turn to scars, and you can talk about them, you can touch on them, and it doesn't bother you anymore. My, my, my prayer for you is simply this. Is in Matthew 18, there is this intense parable that Jesus teaches about forgiveness. He talks about being the unforgiving debtor. And basically what he shares is if you are unforgiving, that you literally will live a life of torment. You'll be tormented emotionally and mentally. So I don't want that for you. It's been a game changer for me. I forgive people daily. I forgive people weekly. This is a daily, weekly discipline of my life. Sometimes I'm like, do I need to forgive that person? Eh, why not? I forgive them. I, I forgive myself a lot sometimes. Uh, here's, here's a heart test. So, so something you need to do spiritually sometimes to make sure that you don't have any unforgiveness in your life is you need to take a heart test. Just like when you go to the doctor and you have heart tests, there should be spiritual heart tests. This is my heart test for unforgiveness in my life. The first thing I ask myself is, when I hear anybody's name, do I feel resentment towards somebody? That's the first part you'll see of unforgiveness. It's just resentment. You hear their name. Let's say, you know, somebody bothered you at work. Let's say their name's Billy. I don't know why Billy's been my name lately. I used it last week, but I'm going to use Billy. If your name is Billy and you go to our church, I'm sorry, okay? But let's say um, you hear the name Billy right away. You're like, oh, resentment. Oh, I, don't, I just don't like that guy. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, after resentment, what the, uh, we, we see is what happens with unforgiveness is resistance. You sort of resist that person. Uh, that person, maybe they're, they're your boss or that you work with them, they try to lead you, and you just resist. You almost rebel against them. And last but not least, what, what happens with unforgiveness is revenge. You'll see this happen in church a lot. You'll see somebody who gets um, some resentment in their heart because something didn't happen. Then they start resisting a leader, and the way they get revenge is they just leave. Man, at our church, we're going to be Matthew 18. If you're upset with somebody, share why you're upset. Forgive people. Man, I'm telling you, forgiveness is one of the greatest game changers I've ever experienced in all of my life. Second point is simply this, is trials. Trials are game changers? How, what, what? This don't sound like a good message right now. You said trials is a game changer? No, no. Surrendering to trials is a game changer. Surrendering to trials. Uh, when I stopped fighting trials in my life and surrendered to what God wanted to do in me and through me in them, ooh, it changed my life. Uh, I want to read you a verse in James 1. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. God wants to produce something in you in this season. Come on now. Uh, let perseverance finish its work. And let, let, let the trial finish its work in you. God's trying to make a masterpiece. Come on. Uh, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I remember talking to one of my senior pastors, and uh, he told me, uh, he's now in the 60s, and we were golfing. He goes, Tyler, you're in your 30s. I wish somebody would have told my 30s, stretch more. Just stretch. Stretch all the time. If you stretch a lot in, the 60, in your 60s, you'll feel a lot better. And what I realized is, is that spiritually, it's the same thing I wish I would have told myself in the 20s. Man, embrace the stretch, Tyler. 
I wish I would have told myself in my 20s, embrace the spiritual stretch of trials. Because the, the, the sooner you embrace the stretch, the better you'll, you'll be emotionally and spiritually in your 30s. So right now, you're probably going through some trials. Don't fight it. Start embracing it. There's a question that I learned in my life that helped me not fight trials, but embrace trials. Here's the two questions. I'm going to give you some tools today. You ready? Here's the two questions. First one is this. What are you trying to develop in me, God? In this trial, in the midst of this season, what are you trying to develop in me? Sometimes I'd get the question, uh, the answer from God, you're trying to develop a more empathetic person. I remember when I was going through my health thing, I was like, God, what are you trying to do in me? It's interesting. For somebody to really be empathetic, they have to go through their own suffering. And when you really taste the suffering, then when somebody else is going through it, ooh, you, you, you empathize in a different way. I remember when I was being treated terribly by my boss. I was asking God, what are you trying to teach me in this season? And God was trying to teach me that I wasn't going to be a selective follower, that I wasn't going to only follow and serve when things are good, but I was going to be a follower no matter what. There's always something God's trying to develop in you. And the second part, question I ask myself when I'm going through something like a trial is this, how can I glorify you in this, God? There's just something about a Christian who stands out in the midst of trials. If you're always blending in, you may not be living the way God called you to live. Because Christians don't blend in, we stand out. The Bible says we're light. It says, let your deeds be seen before for men that they may glorify God and they may praise your Savior. There's just something about a Christian that stands out in the midst of trials. So the second thing, I'm just going to tell you this, embrace the stretch. I'll never forget this. Uh, I, uh, I don't want to um, mislead you. Uh, I remember having a physical therapist uh, for a season of my life because my back was messed up. And I asked the physical therapist, I said, hey, how long am I going to have to stretch uh, so my, uh, my back won't hurt? Uh, will this be like a season? He goes, oh, no, no, Tyler. You'll have to stretch for the rest of your life, morning and evening. I was like, what? bro, this is, isn't there like a pill I could take? He goes, no, no, no. Your body's naturally tight. You're going to have to stretch for the rest of your life. Can I tell you something real quick? Uh, if you're listening today, you're going to have to embrace the stretch for the rest of your life. There's going to be a trial, but here's what I know the Bible shows that life may not get easier, but you're going to get stronger. Life may not get easier, but you're going to be way more flexible because you embrace the trials and it, perver- it, it, it produced something special in you. That's, that's my second one. Third thing that you need to put into practice is rest, is rest. Something we see on our team all the time is we rest well to run well. I make no excuses. People are like, hey, uh, Tyler, I want to hang out this day. I'm like, no, that's my Sabbath day. That's my, me and my girls day. We, we rest on that day. Uh, I, I want to share something with you. This is fascinating. Here's what I know about rest, and you can tell me if this is true for you. When I'm not resting well, I make bad decisions. When I'm tired, I make bad decisions. When I'm tired, I respond poorly. Did you know this? Air traffic controllers take a break every two hours. Every two hours, an air traffic controller takes a break because after two hours, they've seen in studies that their decision-making quality goes down. Every two hours, can I be honest? We think we're, we're too impressed with ourselves. Studies show that in two hours, if you work and you start making poor decisions. So just maybe, just maybe, if we look at these studies, we realize rest is really important. I, I found this, uh, this term when I was uh, studying for this message. It's called Kiroshi. It's called Kiroshi. They've created a term uh, called Kiroshi, and it means death by overwork. Death by overwork. Uh, uh, this, um, uh, there was a study by WHO in 2016 because a lot of people were dying from overworking. So they said, is this really a big problem in the world? Well, in 2016, they did an unprecedented study on overwork, and they found out over 700,000 people died from overworking. There was one of the most famous uh, uh, cases was a man called Kamaya Suji. He worked at 90-hour weeks. He was in his 20s. He was the golden boy of the 80s about overworking. Everybody thought he was the greatest one. He was on the stock exchange in Japan. Everybody thought he was the greatest one, trading all day long, 90-hour work weeks. At the age 26, he died of a heart attack. Another uh, famous uh, one is a woman who's 31. She was working 150 hours of overtime every month. At age 31, she passed away. The reality is, is that people are dying because they're being overworked. You look in the Bible in Exodus, what does Pharaoh do to God's people? He overworks them. He just gives them more work. Because here's what the enemy knows. If he can't defeat you, he'll get you really, really tired. And here's what I know about uh, rest and when we, we try to overwork ourselves. 
Maybe we don't die a physical death, but when you overwork yourself, it creates death in other areas. When you overwork, you have nothing left to give to your friends. When you overwork, you have nothing left to give to your church. When you overwork, you have nothing left to give uh, to your spouse. Man, there's something about resting. I want to read you this verse in Matthew 11. It's It's a powerful verse. It says this, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heaven burdens, and I will give you what? Success? I'll give you money? No, no. Jesus knows our hearts cry. I will give you rest. This is, this is the invitation from our Savior. I want to give you rest. He goes, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For, your, uh, for my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. You know what I think is funny is when I talk to people, I say, hey, how you doing? You know, how's life? You know what I never hear? Man, my margins are amazing. Oh, you, you don't understand. My margins are amazing. Like my life is perfectly margined. I've got my Sabbath day on lockdown. I have a rest time in the morning. My, my evening time is restful. I just, oh, my margins are amazing in life. I just feel so good. There's a book Richard Swenson wrote uh, titled Margins. And basically he talked about when people are operating well is when they operate at 80% capacity and they leave 20% of margins to be able to flow throughout the week. And so he did these studies. People were talking about this in the 1920s. What are we going to do when they develop all these new toys like dishwashers, uh, lawn mowers, all these things that would expedite things that took us forever to do? The reality is, is our flesh loves to be busy. Our flesh loves to wear us out. So as we've gotten more toys that actually minimized our work, we filled it up with other busy stuff instead of rest. Your flesh will never run to rest. Your flesh will always run to burnout, but your spirit wants rest. Here's four ways that you can actually run to rest uh, and you can actually create, I would say, margins in your life. Now, let me tell you this real quick. Rest isn't a practical thing. It's a spiritual thing. You can go to Maui for two weeks and come back just as stressed and uh, just as um, unrefreshed as you went there because it's not a geographical thing. It's a spiritual thing. So I want to take you on a ride. I want to get you first class tickets to four spiritual places that you need to go to better than sitting on a, a beach in Maui. As crazy as that sounds, I believe it. I'm going to give you four spiritual destinations that are better than a beach in Maui, better than um, a dock in Tahoe, better than Napa in front of the most beautiful vineyard, having your favorite cab if you drink wine or water. Way more restful than that. Ready? Here's four spiritual places you need to go. Ready? You need to rest in his promises. It's one of the most spiritual things you can do. And and here's what I know about his promises. Um, When you start to actually look at God's promises over your life, that they are good, that they're to prosper you, that when you're in the midst of trials, you start to rest and go, hey, this isn't, a, this isn't a period, this is just a comma. Something that I've realized in, this li- in, in my life is that when I rest in God's promises, I stress out, it's minimal, it's gone. Because I, I start to sit and I start to process all of his promises. They're yes and they're amen. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Another place you need to travel to is you need to rest in his sovereignty. You need to rest in his sovereignty. I'm gonna tell myself I'm gonna be as vulnerable as I can be in this moment. For the longest time in my life, I have been a hypochondriac. I was in ninth grade. I saw my dad go down a speed slide, and he got off the speed slide, and he had a heart attack. And so I remember him getting off the speed slide, saying, oh, my arm hurts. And then he goes to the bathroom, he puked, take him to the hospital, he goes to intensive care, they save him in surgery. My dad's alive and well today. But watching your dad have a heart attack in front of you at a water park, it messes with you a little bit. So for the longest time in my life, Rachel can attest to this, every time I had a chest pain, I was freaking out. Oh my gosh, uh, gosh, I'm having a heart attack. And then it bled into everything. If my stomach hurt, oh my gosh, I'm appendicitis. It didn't matter what it was. I just was so afraid of, uh, of being sick and dying. And then I finally started reading his word and actually having it shape me. And this became a game changer. This is where I found rest. I, it's, I read it over and over again and I knew the verse, but it wasn't a verse that I read anymore. It became a part of my life. It's Psalm 139. 
talks about him being the author and the finisher of our life, of our faith. He, he's the one that writes our story. And so I, I decided, Lord, you know the day that my life ends. I can't control that. Lord, there's something that's going to take me. It could be old age. It could be something else. But God, I can't control it. No longer will I try to control my outcome or be afraid of things. It just steals from me. Oh, it steals from my rest. It steals from my, my joy. And so now I rest in his sovereignty, knowing that he's my author and my finisher. Some of you need to rest in his sovereignty. He has your story from A to Z, rest in his sovereignty. It's one of the best trips you could ever take spiritually. Another place you need to take a trip to is you need to rest in his love. You need to rest in his love. So Mission Church is three years old. Uh, we were online for a year. And one of the things I'm believing is I'm believing that we're going to be able to have a permanent church home in this next season. I'm hoping sooner than later. And so as you go on this journey, you start to get worked out. I'm like, oh God, what can I do? And you want to manipulate things and push through things. And then I just rest in his love knowing this. He loves his bride more than I do. He loves Mission Church more than I do. And it just gives me this peace saying, God, you're working it out. You're doing things that I could never do. You're preparing hearts. You're preparing yeses. You're preparing people to be generous. You're preparing doors to be opened. I can't do those things. God, you love me so much. You love the church so much. There's something about resting in his love that just gives you peace about your journey and your future. And then last but not least, another thing that you need to rest in is in this. You need to rest in what he says about you. You need to rest in what he says about you. Uh, in ministry, one of the biggest temptations is to work for your approval. Did you like the message today? Did you like service? Are we leading well enough? And what happens when I try to work for your approval? It exhausts me. Oh, it takes me on this hamster wheel of just exhaustion going, am I doing good enough? Am I, was I funny enough today? Was I, did I, I preach a good a revelation message today? Did I do something? What has changed since my sabbatical is the only person I'm trying to please is Jesus. Why we pray on Mondays? It's not for you. I know it pleases my God. Why we pray on Wednesdays? It's not for you. I know it pleases my God. And here's what happens. When I please God, you benefit because of it. When we make our aim to please God, everybody wins. There's just something about resting in the one that you please. And here's what I love about our God. You can do something that's so simple that we're, it's pretty hard for us to be impressed with each other sometimes. What I love about parents, like a father, if I could just give you a picture. Have you ever been to somebody's house and you look on the fridge and they have like these colorings and the kids colorings, the blues out of the lines and the reds out of the lines. It's like the, it's a terrible coloring. And you're like, why is this on? Oh, little Timmy painted this. Little Timmy, he took it. He, he painted it for me the other day. We think it's beautiful. Oh my gosh. And they put it on like, that is the worst. Your, your kid is not talented in, in coloring. That is like, it doesn't matter how bad it is. It's that the kid did it for the parent and they celebrate it. And the way that we need to process our father is not how good it is, but the motive of why we do it. The motive of why I pray, the motive of why I preach, the motive of why I love, the motive of why I serve, the reason why I'm painting, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing is simply this, is I'm doing it for my father and I present it to him. And what I love about my father is he's going to go, ah, this is terrible. Do it again. It's all about the posture and the reason why I'm doing things. Ooh, rest in who you do it for. Oh, it's going to set you free. Fourth one, we got two more, almost done. Another one that I, I believe is a game changer, you start practicing, is serving people, is serving people. Fulfillment isn't inquiring things. No, it's serving people. It's actually the opposite. Proverbs 11 says this, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I think it's interesting. Uh, Time Magazine, Forbes, I, I pulled a bunch of articles out. I just want to show you how much the world is trying to steal from the Bible. Man, plagiarism is alive and well today. Time Magazine said this, the secret to happiness is help, ha uh, helping others. Oh, really? Is it? Uh, read Proverbs, read throughout the word of God. We already know this, but they're like, hey, we found the secret. It's helping others. They, they shared even a, chi uh, a Chinese, old Chinese saying saying this, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. And all the parents said amen to that one though. Let's be honest. You want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. Hey, Sunday, take a nap today. Be happy for an hour. Uh, if you want happiness for a day, go fishing. 
And all the fishermen said, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, if you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. So I'm reading this Time Magazine article. I'm like, all you're doing is trying to repeat scripture in your own little way. Then I go to Forbes, and Forbes says, 10 unhealthy habits that steal from your happiness. And basically all it was was making a life about yourself and not others. So waiting for the future, telling yourself, I'll be happy when. That steals happiness all the time. I'll be happy when I get this promotion. I'll be happy when I get this house. I'll be happy when I make this much money. It's proven if you have that mindset, you'll be an unhappy human being. It's proven also that uh, if you spend too much time uh, and effort acquiring things. This is what uh, Forbes says in, in their article. People living in extreme poverty experience a significant increase in happiness when their financial circumstance improves, but it drops off quickly above 20000 in annual income. So they're saying right away, they feel happy. But just for a second, it's not, it's not lasting. And I love what they say. There's an ocean of research that shows that material things don't make you happy. This ain't scripture even. They're, they're agreeing with the word. They're telling you, hey, there's oceans of evidence that it doesn't make you happy. When you make a habit of chasing things, you are like, uh, likely to become unhappy because beyond the disappointment you experience once you get them, you discover that you've gained them at the expense of real things that can make you happy. What it's saying is that you're actually going to have a door in front of you this week that you can chase the world, chase things, or you can actually serve people. And the reality why people are so unhappy is they'll chase a career and things for their life and then realize years and years of things are stolen from them. What if you serve people today? What if you gave your life away to people today? Well, what, could, what, what could that look like? I love this. This is a, a verse that I kind of hold close to my vest. So encourage each other, First Thessalonians 5, and build each other up just as you are already doing. Can I tell you something real quick? I never heard anybody tell me this. I'm just too encouraged right now. I don't need an encouragement. I never everybody tell me this. I'm just too loved. I just feel too loved. I don't want anybody else loving on me today. I never everybody say this. I'm too cared for. I feel like too many people are caring for me. The reality is, is I want that statement at our church. I want people saying, "Woo! I go to Mission Church. Man, I get encouraged like crazy. They build me up there. They love on me there. They serve me there. They care for me. I want us to be a church that when people come, we're not coming to shop, but we're coming to serve. Man, when you put serving into practice, it changes your soul. It's a game changer. Last but not least, this is my last one and then we're all done, is stewardship. Stewardship. Matthew 25, it's this fascinating teaching, and it's, it's a longer one, so I'm not going to read to you. I, I'd encourage you to read it. It's Matthew 25, 14 uh, through 28, uh, through 30, excuse me. And it's this story about God giving different amounts of talents or money, either one you want to look at. There's two different parables, and he gives five, three, and one to these servants. And they receive these things from God, and then two of them actually invest in them and care for them, and then one just sits on them. And the one that sits on him, the Lord calls him a wicked, lazy servant. It's one of the most intense uh, things you'll see the Lord talk about in, in the gospel. Very intense verbiage. So my life, I look at my life, and I look at when I was stuck in my life. And actually, you'd be surprised. When I was stuck is when I wasn't stewarding. The lack of stewardship in my life caused me to be stuck. But when I was stewarding, I felt like the Lord was always pressing almost what I would call a fast-forward button on my life. When I was stuck financially... I wasn't tithing, if I'm being honest. I wasn't stewarding my finances well. I got, I got stuck financially, and I realized, man, I got to prioritize my finances. I remember I started tithing, I started budgeting, and I watched the Lord fast forward my finances. That's a, that's a real biblical principle. I remember when I wasn't stewarding what God gave me even in ministry. I remember saying, God, if you give me six kids, I'll treat it like they're 600. I remember watching God grow uh, the youth ministry. I watched God give me little things, and there's no little thing that God gives you. They can actually turn into the biggest thing. And so I got a couple of things real quick. These are questions that I ask myself now is, what has God given me to steward and care for in this season? I ask myself that all the time. And so a couple of things uh, I, wrote, I wrote down this season, God gave me time to steward. So in the morning I wake up, I want to give God my time. I want to give my first. 
Uh, God gave me people to steward. Oh, how am I loving them? How am I serving them? That's a big deal. God, God gave me uh, gifts to steward, the talents, my communication to steward. I, how, how am I developing that? God gave me finances. These are just a handful. But I asked myself, what did God give me to steward and how am I going to take care of it? I'll, I'll be honest. One of the things that God gave me, uh, gave us this last season was a uh, ghetto facility uh, to record our services. It was our studio. It was a bar. And it was so ghetto, but we transformed it. And there were people in our house that you just, you gave your times and talents and treasures and helped us transform it. We took something very ugly and we stewarded it. And I really believed at that moment, I was driving to that studio and saying, God, this is our one little talent. And we're gonna steward this one talent. And now we're in our new, new five talent building. And I'm believing that the more and more we steward everywhere we go, we're gonna make things better and brighter where we're at. And the more and more we do it, God shows us, he plants and plucks. He rewards the, steward, the person who stewards. Another thing I, I, I tell myself is, how do I guard what God has given me to steward? So now that you know you're gonna steward, I think one of the biggest things that happens is you just don't guard it that well. We just don't guard what God calls steward. One of the greatest ways you can guard uh, what you're called to steward is simply this, create a great rhythm of your life of first. I think the principle of first is one of the greatest gifts in the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, you'll see this rhythm of God saying, hey, put me first, put me first. Bring, bring your, 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 your treasures to me first. And, and so the reason why we pray on Monday is because it's first. Uh, why we pray the first uh, um, uh, Wednesday of the month, it's first. We, I just, I realize even my mornings, when I put God first and I organize it first, it's very hard for me to get, uh, not guard what God's called me to guard. So, so, so figure out how to guard. That's mine, you can use it, it's free, take it, it's in the Bible. And last but not least, where can I invest what God has given me? Not only am I supposed to uh, um, invest in those things, but I'm supposed to invest in other people. So the two places I wrote is simply this, is, is God's house and, God's, and, and, and the city God's called me to. So the house, I'm trying to love the house, invest in the house, but then also the city. When I walk in a coffee shop, I man, man, I make it better and brighter. Mission Church, I, I hope that uh, you, you grab something from today. And really my, my hope is this, is that uh, you have an opportunity to put these things into practice, that you would rest better this week, that you would serve, oh, that you would love. Man, we're gonna be a special church because simply this is we have Christians who put things into practice and they become game changers. Woo, let's change the world. We love you. We'll see you next week. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.